Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. Today we dive deep with Peter Orlando, a Navy veteran from South Boston, who played a pivotal role in World War II. From constructing artificial harbors for the Normandy landings, to rescuing stranded ships, and even surviving a shipwreck himself. Discover how his French language skills bridged a critical gap between American troops and French command in occupied Austria. Join us as we unfold his heroic deeds and post-war life back in Boston. This interview was recorded on May 22, 2021 in Concord, Massachusetts. So, what's your full name? My full name is Peter Paul Orlando. And what's your birth date? May 9th, 1922. You just missed it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But don't miss the next one. Double <laughs> right. O. Don't miss it. <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, and where were you born? I was born in, in Boston, Mass. I was born at home in my mother's bed. My grandmother delivered me. Yeah. She used to remind me in Italian. She used to say, I brought you into this world, and if you don't behave, I'll send you out. <laughs> and, and this was in Italian, and this was with the hand gesture like this. And she was a wonderful person. I was in love with her. She was a wonderful person. She was Sicilian, both sides solid, and she had blue eyes. Yeah, so go yeah. figure. Hmm. Just a wonderful person. So I, I, had a, I had a great childhood. I was lucky enough to grow up next to my parent, to my grandparents. They lived, we lived in a duplex. Okay. And uh, my grandfather used to tell me stories. He told me <coughs> how they came to America. He, uh, he worked in Sicily. He was a, a, a tenant farmer. He, he worked in a vineyard, and he asked the patron for a, uh, 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 a donkey to help him horse the barrels around. And the patron said, no, Peter, you don't need it. And so my grandfather gave him the Italian salute and came to America. And that's how I'm still here. And otherwise, I'd be running around with lederhosen or something <laughs> with a sawed-off shotgun someplace hiding with, from the mafia or something. But that's, uh, this is a fact. That's, uh, the whole family knows the story. And I have a weather vane that's a, <coughs> it is a donkey. And it's out there, and you can take a picture of it if you if care. Okay. And he, uh, one of my uh, uncles, who was flush, had it made years back. And when uh, my uncle passed away, my father's brother, he, uh, um, everybody got his money, but I grabbed this. I grabbed the sign. I wanted the sign, so I have the sign. 
and the, the money goes. Anyway, so I've had a good life. I, uh, I went to high school. I uh, always had a job. I always, uh, always, I started off like all the little kids in the depression. I had a newspaper route, and uh, and then uh, the, my church used to uh, run a binos, bingo nights uh, on uh, Friday nights, and I used to uh, take a pail and fill it with tonic bottles. Tonic is soda to you folks. It's a it's a tonic to me, and uh, I used to sell the tonic at, at the bingo. And I used to make a couple of dollars. Uh, so I always had a dollar in my pocket or so. And, uh, and then when I went to work, I went to work in, uh, I was a messenger in the Watertown Arsenal. I was making $1,080 a year. And uh, you do the math. And, uh, I, uh, and the best part of the deal was I met my wife there, the woman who was gonna be my wife. And we were together for 66 years. And, She's gone nine years now, and I sorely miss her. But she left a legacy. She's uh, got, I have five children, uh, uh, and uh, 14 grandchildren, and uh, nine, the last time I checked, great-grandchildren. And they're all handsome, smart, <laughs> and they have their grandfather's sense of humor. I think that they're all wonderful people anyway. So anyway, I'm a happy child. So fire, fire away. What else do you need to know? You want my social security number? I won't give it to you. No, no, <laughs> I, won't, no. I won't give it to you. Uh, you can tell me about uh, your days at the, the, the caddy camp and uh, shooting or developing photos. Well, caddy camp, I, I, was, uh, I was in Chatham. Ch Chatham Mass, and I, 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 I was through the Cambridge YMCA. Uh, they had this boys camp, and they, they used to put the boys to work caddying for the golfers. And in return, we, we used to be paid for caddying, and paid our, we paid our, our board at the, at the camp so that it, we, were no, we were no expense to the parents. Which was, this was in the middle of the Depression. and. Um, so I, uh, I was in Chatham. I went there for two summers, and I, I was a good caddy. I could club a fellow. Uh, that club meant I could tell him which club to use, uh, you know, for the distance and uh, like a yeah. five iron or a nine iron or stuff like that or putter. And uh, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I, uh, I was, uh, was kind of like an interloper. I was a Catholic, and the camp was really run by uh, uh, a Protestant uh, uh, congregation, and on s Saturday afternoons, uh, uh, no Sunday, Sunday afternoon, uh, Saturday, Sunday morning was the best time for caddying, so you couldn't go to church. So I used to go to church at five o'clock services in the Protestant. So I know all the Protestant songs, you know, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we gather there, no other has known, no other one has known. And now I'm going back 80 years, so 90 years, 90 years I'm going back. But anyway, I, uh, I, 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 I could mix. I, was, I had good Jewish friends, and I never, religion never paid it any part in my, in my life, nothing. I mean, I went to church to keep peace my, with my mother and father, my mother. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, we're all climbing up different sides of the mountain. 
and I always felt like that. And I get a, I get annoyed when I read this childish stuff there about beating up Asians or stuff like that. This, the people in this country, none of them have any business. They should be on their knees, kissing the ground that they're walking on. So I, uh, I have no aversion about that. I don't, I don't have any, I, I, I don't have any problem with what, I don't care what you do, as long as you don't bother me. I've uh, run out of words here. I never thought the day would come. Hey, kids, I've run out of words. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Well, I'm sure it'll come. Well, I don't know. I, I've, uh, I was, uh, when I went in the service, my mother was uh, very flighty and nervous a wreck, and I think eventually it, she had the stroke. But I got in the Navy. I wanted to get in the Navy. And um, I went into the, the Boston, into the post office building, and I took the physical and I flunked it. They said I had uh, no color perception. And, uh, but I, 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 I kept going back. Uh, and I, I was a, I turned into a pest because I, I, could, I could see every color. I could see all the flowers and the, everything out. So the, uh, the recruiter said, where do you live? And I said, South Boston, which was on the waterfront. So he said, you know anything about small boats? So of course I lied and I said, oh, I know plenty about it. We'll go back in and tell them you want to join uh, limited duty inshore patrol. So I went in and I said I wanted to join the Navy inshore patrol limited duty. And bang, I was in the Navy. So uh, being inshore patrol, I was always a, uh, I was a, a, a hustler. And I got in a radio school. And uh, then the minute I got in the radio school, a couple of, I, I had, was a little bit familiar with it. I, I think I even, I knew the code. Even then I knew the Morse code. But I went in anyway and um, so being limited duty, they shipped me off to Bar Harbor. There was a radio station, a section base, they called it, up in Bar Harbor, NAD5. And I was up there, and uh, it didn't take long. The commanding officer knew I, I had a little bit more on the ball, and he uh, put me in for officer candidate school. So I had to take that old bugaboo again, the, the exam, and they said, no, he's got no limited vision limited uh, uh, the color. So uh, uh, he said, my captain said, Orlando, he says, I can't give you that. What else do you want? I said, I want to go to sea. I joined the Navy to go to sea, not to go to Bahaba. So two weeks later, I was in New York at the section base. They called them section bases. It was a, uh, a fleet, fleet uh, stopover, a boarding house. Okay. And um, now let me see, I got to keep this straight. I, uh, Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, when we got into that, I I was in uh, I was I was in New York City, and I was uh, working uh, at the section base, and uh, and then uh, uh, the skipper at the sketch section base came in and he says, uh, "Anybody speak? Anybody speak uh, French here?" And I said, "Mr. Yozel speaks French. He was the commissary officer." He said, "No, I'm looking for an enlisted man." So I said, I can speak a little, I can speak French. I had French in school for, grammar school for five years. So they brought in a, 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 little, a little French girl and she kind of tested me and she was giggling and laughing all the time. But she said, the bottom line was she said, he'll do. <laughs> and so bam, I, uh, I was assigned to one Navy officer who must have had pull himself. And we, uh, we were in Europe. <laughs> 
we went, we were, we hit all the, the state, we, we were all over Europe. Uh, uh, we got hold of a car and, and he, uh, his name was Dudley Fox, F-A-W-K-E-S, Kate, C-A-T-E-S, a nice guy. He was a, he was a, a Park Avenue uh, socialite and he smoked cigarettes with a cigarette lighter. Now, I was 22, he was probably 26, and he used to call me, Orlando, Orlando, and, but he was a great guy and we, we had a good time together and we were both interested in the same stuff, which was uh, places of interest and museums and stuff like that. We were a couple of culture vultures, we used to call them. So, so I got to see, uh, I was all over Europe with him and, um, we, uh, we had a, uh, I had a good time. I saw an awful lot. I was all over Venice. I sent, I have glassware here that I sent my wife from Venice 80 years ago. Souvenir, you know, cut glass, cut glass. And um, I was thinking about it yesterday. I was thinking, Jesus, I was holding the shot glass. And I said, boy, that glass is, that goes back to Austria. So anyway, I had a great time. And uh, uh, meanwhile, my who was my affiance, I, I didn't, I, I wrote to her the month before Normandy, I wrote to Josephine and I asked her if she'd marry me and her uh, sisters later told me that she cried for a week and she wrote back she would. So uh, when I came home, I came home, I was mustered out January 31st, 1946 and we were married June 2nd, 1946. And, uh, we were driving to, I had a, bought a, I had a, a car, I had a, bought a 1936 Nash Ambassador for, for uh, $400. And it was a tank, you couldn't, and we drove, we were going, driving, everybody went to New York in those days. And so we were driving to New York because one of my shipmates, Hugh Lennon, uh, he, he lived in New York in the Bronx someplace. And, uh, he was the uh, station engineer for the Strand Theater where they used to have Frank Sinatra and all those people. So we went looking for him. So I was driving through Connecticut with my head up in the clouds and I went right through a red light, got trapped and police stopped us. And I, my wife said, well, we're on our honeymoon. And he says, come on, get out of here. <laughs> so that was it. So that was my only clash with the law. And, uh, and, I, wow. and I never, I mean, I. Oh yeah, yeah, it was one other th time. I was, when I came home, I shot through a stoplight and, and I was waved in and I had to go to court. And uh, the judge said, any World War II veterans here? This is right after the war. I said, half of us put up our hands and he said, go home. And so we got we, we home anyway, we're home. So it paid off a couple of times anyway. But- uh, Well, let me back up. Back during, your, during the war and Tell me about the, uh, the, the ship you were on and what your role was. Okay, well, my, the, the ship I was- You were at D-Day. I was at, yeah, I was, I was the ship, I was with the ship from the commissioning and fitting out. It was in Wheeler Shipbuilding in New York, in New York, uh, around New York, Corona, Long Island, someplace along there. And they used to build, they were building yachts. So this was a wooden hull. It was oak that thick, and it's steel superstructure, 168 feet long, 40 foot beam, 17 foot draft, 
60 men on it, including four radio men. I was in the radio shack, <clears throat> and um, I uh, and we were four radio men, uh, and uh, I was like the second in command. There was a, for the first guy was from Texas. His name was Jesse. I don't know if that was first or last name, and he sp spoke with a brawl, and he was straight and chicken shit, and no fun at all. And uh, and then uh, when we went into uh, we were going into Normandy, but when we went into Normandy, I I, uh, well, I was second in command, and then we we were we hit uh, Omaha Beach. We were at Omaha Beach, uh, five thirty the morning before, and uh, it just so happened with uh, the duty that we had as a salvage rescue tug, we were there for exactly a hundred calendar days, and. Um, on the second week that we were there, we hit the storm of the century and it just laid everything a waste along the beach. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of how that, what that beach looked like. I was back there a year ago and the beach was immaculate. There wasn't a grain of sand out of place or anything. It just, it didn't, it was a shh, it was a, it was a mess. I mean, it was a mess when I was there. But uh, we were at right around, uh, Colleyville Sur Mayor or something like that. We were in a very popular place there. But we got, I, I did my duty there. And, uh, and then uh, on uh, June 26th, 1945, we hit a submerged wreck. We were going across the bay in La Havre. Uh, we were still a station rescue tug in La Havre and we were on our way out. It was a Danish ship was on fire in the English Channel. Captain shot right across the harbor, and uh, we hit a submerged wreck and climbed up out of the water. Put about a 20-foot gash in the bottom, and it went down like a rock. But we were still superstructure was overhead. It was it was the bay. It was so. I have a picture on me of some place of a me going over the side with a big grin on my face, going over the ladder, abandoning ship. But anyway, that's <clears throat> that was after that. That's when I ended up uh, going to uh, uh, going across Europe with uh, with M M Mr. Cates, C A T E S. He was a great guy. He was. He's, he just passed away. I read he passed away. Uh, uh, but uh, I uh, I'm still here. Amen. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> I don't have the appetite I used to have. I just don't, eating alone, is, uh, as I used to say, it's, it sucks. I, I can't do it, I don't, I don't have any appetite. And I, I, I skip or I throw out half the, I've, I've been great on eggs, I eat a lot of eggs. And uh, my neighbors all ring the doorbell with uh, stews and stuff and they're just wonderful around. And my family. And. Um, Chances are when Bob shows up here uh, anytime, he'll be bringing a, a, some kind of a dish for me, lasagna or baked macaroni or something. He, and he cooks, Bobby cooks, and he's a great cook. And I said, where did you learn how to cook? And he said, I used to watch Ma. That's what he said, he used to watch his mother. So he's at he's Carlisle, the next town over here. <clears throat> and uh, he's got uh, three beautiful daughters. Uh, nobody home now, they're all out. They're all teachers. They, they're all teachers and uh, wonderful kids. Uh, two of them are married. 
the, the youngest one isn't married, but she bought a house. She bought a house. They all own their own homes now. These girls, that they, were, uh, they know the value of a buck and they rather pay for their own house than buy somebody else's house for them. So they yeah. do. They do uh, they're great. Uh, and um, so I have uh, nine grandchildren. No, 14 grandchildren. I got 14. When Christmas comes, I have to make a list. I have to write it down or I'm going to miss somebody. And everybody gets 50 bucks. And uh, 14 grandchildren? That's seven. Great grandchildren? Um, how many great? Uh, uh, let me see. I, I, uh, did I, let me see. Let me. Great grandchildren. Oh, let me see. Let me. They have two. I think I got about nine. Okay. Yeah, they are. Everybody's prolific, and uh, and they and the kids are all cute, and they do it. Everybody, they're all great. I'm very proud of them. My wife left a, as I keep saying, she left a, a wonderful legacy. She left a beautiful family. General, all the grandchildren were, you know, in their twenties when Grandma died, and so she got a good send off. I'm all talked out. All right. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.